Subject matter described in this podcast may be mature in nature and some details disturbing or triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, it's Britt here, and you're listening to Poisonous Minds. If you enjoy stories of true crime, unsolved mysteries, and the unknown, then you came to the right place. Luckily for you, I will be retelling you stories of all of these things. So grab yourself a seat, and let's hit this shit show. Today's story takes place in Knoxville, Tennessee. In 2007, Shannon Christian was a 21-year-old college student at the University of Tennessee. She was an avid golfer and was studying sociology. She had recently started dating 23-year-old Christopher Newsom about two months prior. Chris was a formerly well-respected baseball player in his community and worked as a carpenter. The two were smitten with one another and enjoyed spending time together. On the evening of Saturday, January 6, 2007, they planned to go out for a dinner and to watch a movie at Shannon's best friend's apartment. Shannon called her parents to even check in to let them know that she was going to watch a movie and hang out with her friend and that she will be home later. Shannon's parents were starting to become concerned when she was not home the next morning and they had learned that Shannon had not shown up for work. They began calling around and got in touch with Chris's parents. Chris's parents also had not seen or heard from their son. At first glance, it wouldn't be totally abnormal to not tell your parents your whereabouts at that age, but it seemed like they had a pretty good relationship where they would share those details with them. After no luck getting in contact with either of their children, they were reported missing by their parents. Now that January evening, The couple had gone to dinner and drove over to the friend's apartment to watch the movie. After the movie, the two said their goodbyes to their friend and made their way outside the complex and into Shannon's SUV. Shannon was in the driver's seat of her forerunner, and Chris was about to get in the passenger side when the two exchanged a kiss. When suddenly, they were being carjacked and abducted by three assailants. LaMarcus Davidson, Eric Boyd, and Latalvis Cobbins. LaMarcus and Latalvin were half-brothers. Boyd and Davidson had guns drawn looking to steal the SUV when headlights of a nearby car spooked them, so they forced the couple into the back seat of Shannon's vehicle. Tying the couple up with whatever they could find and leaving Cobbins in Boyd's car, Davidson and Boyd drove Shannon's SUV as Cobbins drove Boyd's cousin's car that he had borrowed that night. A little background on the assailants. This group of men had been in and out of the system for robberies and other crimes throughout their life. 
It was said that they were out looking for someone to rob since the three did not have any jobs, money, or a vehicle. Davidson was known to deal drugs to make money, but they didn't have a vehicle to get the drugs. Davidson started growing angry with Cobbins and saying that he needs to pull his weight around here. Also, Davidson, in previous days, had gotten to an argument with his girlfriend, which resulted in them breaking up and her leaving. Angry, broke, and needing to get more drugs, the group set out to rob someone when things quickly escalated. In court documents, it was stated that the men were smoking wet blunts before the carjacking occurred. For those of you who do not know what a wet blunt is, it is a blunt dipped in embalming fluid. Sounds disgusting. Now, I'm going to take a second to give everyone who needs a courtesy reminder. This case is horrific, and it goes into details of malicious and gruesome things that transpired. Please take this time to prepare yourself for these events, or skip forward. Or maybe this episode just isn't for you. I understand, but consider yourself warned. With anything, the couple were hogtied with anything that could be found within Shannon's vehicle and had bandanas placed over their eyes. Chris was gagged with his socks, his ankles bound with his own belt, and he had a sweatshirt tied around his neck with his shoelaces covering his face, where he was then thrown into the trunk of Shannon's forerunner. The couple were then taken to the rental home of LaMarcus Davidson. At the home waiting was Vanessa Coleman, who was the girlfriend of Latavis, and George Thomas, also a friend of Latavis. The couple were then separately taken out of the vehicle and forced into the house. Inside of the house, they would both experience endless and vile torture. Some conflicting trial testimony said that they did not know Chris was in the house. However, the things that were done to him could easily place him in the home. Back at the home, an argument broke out between LaMarcus, Eric, Latavis, George, and Vanessa. Thomas and Davidson barely knew each other, and they certainly did not like one another. LaMarcus told Thomas that he would have to do something to earn his trust. Shortly after, Chris was beaten severely all over his body. He was stripped naked from the waist down and brutally raped and sodomized with an object. After a few hours, Davidson, Cobbins, Boyd, and Thomas forced Chris up and out of the house and back into the trunk of the SUV, leaving Vanessa Coleman to watch over Shannon. The men then drove him to an isolated location only a short distance from LaMarcus's house on Chipman Street. The men then continued to beat Christopher and sodomize him. He was then made to believe there were hopes of escaping this horrible event and he was forced to walk barefoot, still tied up and naked from the waist down on dirt and gravel near the railroad tracks. As he attempts his escape, he is shot once in the neck by George and once in the back by Latavis. Chris fell to the ground paralyzed from the shooting. Lamarcus then stands over Chris, places the barrel of his gun to Chris's head, and shoots him execution style this being the actual cause of death. The group of men then returned to the house on Chipman Street, where Boyd left. Davidson and Thomas took off their bloody clothes to wash them. Then Davidson and Thomas grabbed a comforter and a gas can and left again. 
The torture does not end there for Christopher. They cover his body up with the comforter, douse him in gasoline, and set him on fire. And that is where they left him. Back at the home, Cobbins went in the back room where Shannon was tied up with cut-up strips of bedding to bind her to suitcases filled with free weights and books. He promised her she would be able to leave if she gave him oral sex. She was so forcibly raped orally that the membrane in her mouth was severed. She endured hours of sexual abuse, rape, and being sodomized. She was then beaten with objects from the home, even a broken leg off of a wooden chair. She suffered multiple blunt force trauma to the head, kicked and punched repeatedly, and had severe wounds to her genital and rectal areas, which were said to be done by Vanessa Coleman, along with other members. It was also later determined that the object used for both rapes was that of a broken wooden chair leg, which is absolutely horrifying and just sad that they had to go through this. But that wasn't all. On Sunday, Shannon was eventually dragged across the carpet into the kitchen, wounded and bleeding, where LaMarcus calls everyone to the kitchen. And he repeatedly strangles Shannon. She put up a fight for her life, but she fell unconscious. LaMarcus then orders Vanessa to check her pulse. When she was uncertain if Shannon had a pulse or not, LaMarcus grew angry and started yelling and waving a gun around, making threats. The attackers then began to panic, knowing they had left an enormous amount of DNA on and in Shannon's body. They next attempt to remove all DNA by pouring bleach all over her body and scrubbing her down, and then they pour bleach down her throat. Then LaMarcus begins choking her until he believes that she was dead. They then hogtie her back up with strips of sheets and curtains. Sadly, as terrible as this sounds, Shannon was still alive. They wrapped her body in five big black garbage bags and placed a grocery bag over her head. They then stuck her into a large Rubbermaid garbage can with sheets thrown on top and put the lid on it and it sat in the kitchen of the house and they left her there thinking she was dead. However, Shannon was alive and slowly and painfully dying of suffocation. Early the next morning, Christopher Newsom's body was found by a railroad worker, and his body was confirmed by a detective on scene whose son was friends with Chris. With the horrific details in Chris's death, they were frantic to find Shannon. Shannon's parents, growing even more worried, two days after she went missing, they went looking for their daughter, canvassing areas near the last known cell phone pings when they found Shannon's forerunner just a couple of blocks away from where she was suffocating slowly in a garbage can. In the car, the police were able to pull a fingerprint that matched back to LaMarcus. The police were able to then obtain a search warrant for Davidson's home, and while doing the walkthrough of the home, which was recorded, is when detectives opened the top of the garbage can 
and inside of the garbage bags, staring back at them, was Shannon Christian's lifeless body. She fought to the very end, to her very last breath. The vision of that, it just, it breaks my heart. Two days after discovering Shannon's body, police received a tip that LaMarcus was hiding out in an abandoned building near the Chipman Street home. The police were able to apprehend him into their custody, which he then sang like a fucking canary. Latalvis Cobbins, Vanessa Coleman, and George Thomas all fled to Kentucky, where they were staying with a friend. They were all later apprehended by police, questioned, and charged in relation to the couple's disappearance and murder. This is what they were charged with. George Thomas was hit with 46 total charges and indicted on 16 counts of felony murder, canceling out the rape, robbery, kidnapping, and theft of Chris Newsom. Some additional charges were of aggravated robbery, four counts of aggravated kidnapping, 20 counts of rape, and two counts of theft. He received life without parole. Latelvis Cobbins was also charged with 46 charges, and additionally, assaulting of a correctional officer. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. LaMarcus Davidson, considered to be the ringleader. He was also hit with 46 charges. In addition, he was recently released from prison on auto theft charges from 2006. He was found guilty for both murders and was sentenced to death. Eric Boyd was charged as an accessory after the fact and was not indicted by Knoxville but was tried in a federal court for helping Davidson evade police. In later trials, Latalvis and George said he was accountable for the rape and murder as well. A warrant was executed on his home and DNA was taken, but there were no confirmed reports that he had participated in anything other than the carjacking. He did receive a sentence of 18 years for being an accessory to the carjacking. Vanessa Coleman was arrested by Kentucky police. She was facing 40 Tennessee charges, indicted on 12 counts of felony murder, canceling out the rape, robbery, kidnapping, and theft of Shannon and Chris, one count of excessive aggravated robbery, four counts of aggravated kidnapping, 20 counts of aggravated rape, and two of theft. The Knoxville News Centennial is quoted saying, a Davidson County jury acquits Coleman of murder, convicts her of lesser charges, and obviously impaired Judge Richard Baumgartner struggles to take the verdict. Baumgartner later gives her a 53-year sentence. Sounds odd, right? How could this get any worse? Well, let me tell you. In 2011, the Judge Baumgartner confirms he is taking a medical leave which just so happens to be around the same time that Tennessee's Bureau of Investigation confirms the judge is subject to a criminal investigation. Special Judge John Kerry Blackwood takes over Bumgarner's dockets. A few months later, Bumgarner pleads guilty to official misconduct because he was addicted to drugs and hiring sex workers to come to the courthouse for sex during recesses. Needless to say, he 
gets suspended for two years sentence that was imposed by Blackwood, who granted him judicial diversion. Bumgardner was later disbarred, which left an easy opening for the attackers to lighten their sentences or have retrials, which most of them had attempted for retrials and appeals. Vanessa Coleman had her sentence reduced by a third due to this miscarriage of justice. In the following year after the murders, Waste Connections purchased the home on Chipman Street and had it demolished and raised a memorial for the couple. A scholarship program for golf was created in honor of Shannon Christian, and an annual Little League baseball tournament in Christopher Newsom's honor, along with a scholarship in his name as well. Both parents have been dedicated to being at every single court proceeding in regards to their children's cases. It was said that they had already gone to over 350 court proceedings in regards to Shannon and Chris's cases. Man, that was a rough one and so heartbreaking and messed up. Thank you all for taking the time to listen to the story. I hope that I didn't mess you up. And I hope you come back next week. Thank you again all for listening. Remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on all your podcast platforms. Till next time. Bye. The Poisonous Minds podcast is written, produced, and composed by myself, Brittany Mejias.